All right, we're gonna do it the scan away. I'm gonna suck your brain dry. Welcome back to the Mars Podcast, the Mars Magazine Podcast. This is Adario Strange with Vic Song. Yes, and this week we are transmitting, at least in part, from California. I am in Los Angeles uh, here for a little bit of uh, R&R, but also taking care of a couple of things. And uh, a couple, you know, it's just, you know, I haven't been here in a while, so just kind of checking out the landscape. Um, what have you been doing this week? You've been pretty heads down? Or what's going on on your side? I've been pretty heads down, but enjoying the sunshine. So you don't have the monopoly on sunshine in uh, L.A. New York oh. has gotten some good actual spring weather, too. So I just basically wasted my time. I could have just stayed in New York. Yeah, see, you should have you should have gone last week when it was raining and awful and terrible, and we were doing our best Portland and Seattle impression. That's yeah. where I should have gone. Yeah, but, but I do have the beach, so I've been spending a lot of time here on uh, Venice Beach, going between the muscle people, the uh, crazy people, the artists, the <laughs> skateboarders. It's pretty I've interesting. Never, I've never been to L.A., but I do have an image of Venice Beach just from all the movies. So. Oh, yeah. No, the movie. I mean, it's it's much better. I was here many years ago and it, it definitely seems a little less seedy, but it's it's pretty colorful and it's it's still Venice Beach. And I actually uh, I got into a, a shootout like um, not a, a gun shoot, not a gun shootout, <laughs> a basketball shootout. You know, there's a very famous basketball court on Venice uh, Beach on the uh, walkway. And I actually got into a three-point shooting match with some guy. And and let's just say I am the master. But anyway, we'll move on. We'll move on. We don't want to get into my sports prowess. Let's talk about something that happened this week. Uh, NASA. So NASA, you know, they have the Kepler telescope. And uh, what they did was they found about 1,284 or somewhere in the 1,284 new planets and that's the most that they've ever discovered in like one go. And nine of them were verified as potentially habitable for life. Yeah, also known as the Goldilocks zone. Yeah, because it's not too close to the star so that it's like Mercury and everything burns up and shrivels away. But it's also not so far as like Pluto so that it's cold AF. Cold AF. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it looks like, I mean, as the years go by, if we can manage to stay alive, it almost it seems almost certain that we will find a planet that is, if not exactly like Earth, very close to Earth in, you know, just in, in terms of being able to sustain human life or some sort of life. Yeah, if they're not already inhabited by some sort of life. No, we're not worried about that. We'll just pull up a... Uh, uh, an avatar, you know, and oh, mind them. Or, or, you know, or a Ripley, because who says they're big blue Smurf people? They could be shiny, you know, shiny predator face hugger. Right, right, right. So I think it's startling because on some level, I, I have this image in my mind of when, again, well, the method for the Kepler uh, mechanism we should mention is not, it's not like they can directly see these planets. What they do is they detect, uh, I believe a dimming of the light and they try mm-hmm. to, uh, suss out how often the dimming of the light in the distance happens. And using that data with other data, they determine that that is some sort of planetary body. Um, but we also have powerful telescopes like the Hubble telescope and others that, it seems almost inevitable that at some point we'll point one of these telescopes at one of these planets and we'll see something moving. And I feel like when that happens, I feel like we'll get like a collective human chill down humanity's spine. Now, and the question I have to ask is that, is that like a good chill or a creepy chill? No, I mean a creepy chill. I mean a okay. chill of, you know, cause that has all kinds of implications. It's, you know, I mean, some people will immediately say, you know, immediately a lot of people will go to the religion mm-hmm. part of it. You know, does this mean that there is no God or does this just mean, well, God is, you know, the master of all things. And of course there are living things on other planets. And, you know, why would, why wouldn't it be that way? And they'll, you know, maybe figure out some explanation for that. But, you know, there's nothing in the Bible, nothing in the text that I've ever read 
you know, in whether it's the Torah, the Quran, the Bible about alien creatures, nothing. So when this does happen and it's beginning to seem inevitable, you know, I think that'll have, you know, that'll create some sort of existential crisis for some people. And then even just, you know, on a non-religious level, you'll have people who kind of think, okay, well, what is the meaning of life if we're just another life form, you know, among billions? Well, you know, I think what was I heard this week that Hillary Clinton carries around, you know, UFOs, their real books. So I think some people... Wait, where'd you hear this? I need verification. Of this. Where, <laughs> where did you hear this? I was I was out drinking with a couple of friends. <laughs> okay, so and... wait, wait, so so let's just be clear. There were drugs involved, liquid well, drugs, uh, liquid well, drugs, li- liquid lubricants of conversation. Okay, and uh, they were telling me, and I have I have to verify it for myself, but apparently Hillary Clinton carries has been like spotted in photos with like UFOs. Are they real? Books. So, you know, Wait, given... but again, where, where did you read this? Is, or is this just hearsay? This is hearsay, but okay. Okay. You know, I have to think if, if this is a hundred percent true and I have to verify it for myself, but if it is true and Hillary Clinton, former wife of a president believes that it's possible. I don't know. Maybe we already do know and no one is telling us and that might sound a little conspiracy theory ish, but I kind of, I kind of think that it's possible that we already know that there is stuff out there. I mean, I'm kind of out of the business of thinking that just because you're either the president or one step away from the president, you have some secret knowledge of area 51 and -hmm. you know, the truth behind, you know, is there, you know, are, is there life on other planets? I'm, I I no longer feel that way. I think um, this, particularly now with social media and so many leaks happening, I think, I suspect, at least, that if we do find something, if there is information out there about real life on some other planet or hints of life on another planet, I, I think it's it's going to be really hard to keep that a secret. Snowden, <laughs> you know, I, guess I invoke the I inv- invoke the name of Snowden. You know, if he if 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 the NSA didn't know, I, I'm still holding out like that zero point whatever percent that. They do know, and we're just in the dark because they don't want to incite what exactly what you said, mass hysteria, loss of faith, or questioning our existence. Uh, anyway, so uh, we'll keep uh, an eye on NASA as NASA keeps an eye on the universe. Next up, I want to introduce you guys to Heidi Ho Comics. So this week or last week, um, the Avengers or the Avengers, Captain America Civil War came out. And Avengers 2.5. Well, basically, that's what we're going to talk about later uh, in this episode. We're going to talk about the technology of the Civil War uh, installment of what I really think is the Avengers. This is not really a Captain America movie, but Captain America Civil War. We're going to talk about the technology in that film. So I thought it would be cool to go to a local comic book shop, uh, actually one of the oldest comic book shops in Los Angeles. It started in 1977. And it's called Heidi Ho Comics. And this is my brief conversation with the owner of that comic book shop. Cool. This is Adario Strange. We are in uh, Santa Monica, California. And we are talking to Eddie, the new owner of Heidi Ho Comics. And why don't you go ahead and give the address? It's 1431 Lincoln Boulevard in Santa Monica. And it's a big, beautiful shop. Uh, I talked to them earlier, and they said they just kind of redid the space and opened it up a little bit. It's not your normal cluttered comic book space. So what I wanted to do is just ask you really quickly, just, you know, with all the comic book movie hype, you know, these blockbusters are really drawing, you know, a lot of money. Is this helping the comic book business? Is it? Are you getting kind of a new resurgence? Are you seeing new kinds of customers coming in? Because a lot of these movies I'm going to, they're, they're a lot of adults. It's not necessarily like a kid thing. So, what, what what effect has it had, if any, on your business? It's a bit of a double-edged sword. Uh, the reason being that yes, it does help, and then also at the same time, it doesn't help. Uh, quick explanation: It is bringing a lot of people in the doors. Uh, a lot of parents who have kids now who said, hey, I remember I used to read comics back when I was a kid. I really enjoyed them, and my, my kids love these new uh, superhero movies. I'm going to take them down to the shop. And that kind of gets uh, the kids interested. They come in wanting a toy, and then the kids want them to, or the parents want them to buy a book as well and get them reading and get them started on that. 
the reason why I say it doesn't, that unfortunately we seem to be living at a time where people just don't read as much, unfortunately. Um, for all the people that go to see all the superhero movies, only a small amount, a small percentage of those people probably have ever gone and read the source material, unfortunately. And so you, you, you don't find that this is like kind of creating new fans of the, the book, comic book material? No, it definitely is. I didn't mean to say that it isn't. It's just we seem to live in a time where people aren't as uh, big on print media anymore. You know, everything's done online. Everything's digital. Um, so the idea of just sitting and reading a book sometimes a generation today doesn't seem like uh, uh, something that is as enticing as like it used to be when I was a kid. But there is a lot of people that are coming in that Walking Dead is a really good example. A lot of people come in and they say, oh my God, I love The Walking Dead. I just found out that it's a comic book. Um, I want to read it. And they don't realize the book has been around for 10 years. And they suddenly, they get into it. And for a lot of people, that's their gateway drug. They, they read The Walking Dead. They love it. And they say, do you have anything else that's like this? And it gets them started. So it really does help. And that was my other question just about the digital versus print. So like apps like Comixology, and I know there are a few others, like are you guys interacting with that kind of stuff at all? Like our comic book store, I mean, I'm assuming you talk to other comic book store owners. Are you guys talking about using technology in any kind of way or are you kind of just sticking to the, you know, the old ways? Or? Well, from a retail standpoint, as far as uh, the publishing side of, of digital comics, there doesn't really seem to be a lot of overlap. Where technology comes in uh, for us is having a big online presence for your shop. I mean, gone are the day where it's just a, a single owner guy running a comic shop, you know, like the typical comic book guy like on The Simpsons. Uh, those days are, are really kind of falling away. By the way, Eddie is very fit and thin. He is not <laughs> uh, rotund, and I see no... Uh, there is no ponytail in evidence. Please continue. <laughs> Definitely no ponytail. My wife would not allow it. Um, but gone are those days, and I think that the people that are running shops now are really treating it more like a business. And they're using uh, things like social media, web presence, even eBay. We have a pretty big eBay store because we do buy a lot of older comics books from the 70s and earlier, and we utilize eBay to really reach out and find collectors all over the world to buy that product. So uh, in those ways, going digital for a shop, um, I think is very beneficial and I think just necessary. As far as the print side, uh, a lot of shops might say they're worried, but I really don't think that there's any reason to be. The reason being is that uh, a lot of people who read comic books digitally, um, they end up coming into the shop. Uh, I've had a lot of customers that come in that they said, oh, yeah, you know, I, I bought some comics online, started reading them. Now I want to, you know, I want to know more. And they come in the shop and they will buy the print version. There's a very big overlap of people who will buy the digital version of a comic or a book and come in and buy the, the print version because they like it so much. It's like a gateway thing where they come in and just buy the rest in print. So I'm totally not worried. And I think people that worry about digital overtaking the print side of comics, it's really unfounded. It's a whole other um, different uh, perspective than, say, newspapers or magazines because comics and print have a collectability factor that you don't have with those other print mediums. And I noticed that you have uh, uh, Avengers, I'm sorry, Avengers, a Captain America Civil War kind of display kind of mixed in with some adventure, uh, adventure stuff. So are you getting any kind of support from the studios? Not necessarily monetary, but any kind of just moral support, uh, any kind of like... I don't know, just any kind of show of, hey, we see you guys are out here. Not just maybe you, but just comic book store owners in general. Not really. Uh, when it comes to, say, the big Marvel movies that are backed by Disney, uh, they, they really see the print side of that company as kind of like a small percentage of where the money really is at for them. And that's fine. Um, where we tend to get a lot of support, sort of, is being in Santa Monica, we have just in our little area right here a lot of entertainment companies. So we will have a lot of people in entertainment, whether they be directors, screenwriters, um, producers, whatever, that will come in and talk to us and say, hey, what's the you know, new hot book or what, what do you recommend? And they will quite literally leave with a pile of a couple dozen books of things to go off to their, back to their offices and read. And some things you know, might even get picked up as a TV or movie. Two quick questions. Who's the most famous one of those who, who's come in? And two, what is the hottest book? Uh, for us, 
the biggest sellers for us are Walking Dead, all of the new Marvel Star Wars titles, and an image title called Paper Girls. Uh, as far as people that have come in the shop, I mean, it's a long list of people like uh, Mark Hamill, who was a regular at the shop for a while before I took it over, but he's been in a few times since then. Um, James Cameron, J.J. Abrams, uh, gosh, I can't think of who else at the moment, but it's just a regular thing. And a lot of times it might be someone you don't even recognize. Yesterday, a guy came in who is a director slash producer who had a long list of Punisher uh, books that he was looking for and things that I recommended to him as well. And he walked out with a huge pile. When I looked him up afterwards, it turns out he's, you know, uh, director slash screenwriter slash producer, so it could be someone working on the new Punisher series. Yeah, because uh, if you're if you're not aware, uh, listeners, uh, the Punisher series just got picked up, I believe, by Netflix, right? Yes. By Netflix. Um, so the guy went from Walking Dead to the Punisher, and now we get to see another branch of the Marvel universe. Well, thank you for talking to me. I really appreciate it. And make sure you guys come through Heidi Ho Comics on. Can you just give me the address one more time? It is 1431 Lincoln Boulevard in Santa Monica. And you guys got a website? We do. HeidiHoComics.com. There you go. See, that's why I gave him the mic. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. So, yeah. So those were very cool people. I actually spent some time in the shop after we had our little chat. Um, I kind of reacquainted myself with a few titles, got some information on. By the way, what titles would you recommend out there in terms of comic books that are kind of like fresh? Oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, Monstrous by Marjorie Liu. Um, that is a super duper cool uh, kind of fantasy comic. It Just check it out. I don't, there's like, I think there's five or six issues out and they're going to come out with, I think, the trade soon after that. And that's one that I've really been enjoying recently. And um, another one that I really like is Revival. I'm somewhat blanking on, on the writer's name, but I think it's, Tim Seeley. That's a really great rural noir type of zombie, not really zombie, but kind of zombie-ish mystery comic. And I would highly recommend Revival. It's super great. It's by Image, which is also, um, both of them are actually by Image. So go check that out. And earlier you were telling me about a book um, that's by the same guy who did Why the Last Man. Oh, yes. Paper Girls. Paper Girls is by Brian K. Vaughn, who did Why the Last Man and, I believe, Saga. And it is really cool. It's super duper cool. It's It doesn't seem like it's sci-fi at first, but there's a definite sci-fi element to it. A, a group of paper girls and time travel and hijinks ensue. Hijinks ensue, and it's great. I really enjoy it. Okay. And so I I hope you guys got something out of that. Just a small sampling of what's happening in the comic book world as these comic book movies are really taking off and kind of the the effects that that whole phenomenon is having on the source of all this, which are the comic book shops. So next, we want to give you a peek behind the curtain of Marvel. Marvel. We spoke to a studio called Perception, and we spoke to the founders of Perception, and they are the studio, the small studio, uh, production studio behind many of the special effects in movies like uh, The Avengers, Iron Man, uh, Captain America Civil War, most recently, and in fact, the upcoming Doctor Strange. And what they do is they conceptualize future tech or near future tech and they make it look real. So the stuff that you see with, you know, Tony Stark and his holograms and his, his really cool transparent phone and all that stuff, you know, even the self-driving car and some of the stuff, you know, you know, some of the mechanisms that make that work or at least in a fictional sense, this is the studio that helps Marvel make that look real. So we had a brief conversation and check it out. Okay, so we're here uh, talking to the studio behind the effects of some of the uh, movies that you've come to know and love that display future technology, such as Captain America, the Winter Soldier, uh, the Iron Man series, uh, the Avengers series, and uh, RoboCop, uh, and most recently, uh, Captain America, Civil War. I'm here with Jeremy Lasky from Perception. And his partner, 
Danny Gonzalez. Danny Gonzalez, how are you? Great, great. Thanks so much for having us on the on the podcast. And so, Jeremy, can you uh, can you guys just tell me like how just in brief how you started the company and who's the co like who started it like who's what what are the mechanics of like how this whole thing started at Perception? Yeah, no problem. So, <clears throat> Danny and I are the co-founders, and we began in 2001, so that's uh, 15 years ago this year. Uh, and initially, the company was founded to be a design and animation studio, and we mainly did work. Uh, for television. We did a lot of work with the big broadcast networks like the HBOs and the SPNs of the world. We also did a lot of work with ad agencies on big campaigns, a lot of live action production and things of that nature. But our our first uh, feature film, which was a, a pretty big break for us, was with Iron Man 2, and that came in 2009. Uh, and that really was the beginning of our current path, which is working in both feature films and with uh, technology companies, because the work we did in Iron Man 2 was all centered around Tony Stark's digital uh, gadgetry interfaces for his smartphone, his, uh, his smart mirror, his uh, coffee table, and so forth. And right after that film, we started getting calls from technology companies who were really attracted to the team's cinematic vision for user experiences. So in the last five or six years, that's really been our focus. Uh, we continue to work in features. You mentioned a, a few blockbusters there in your opening. Uh, but we also spend a considerable amount of time collaborating with uh, big technology companies as well. I'll let Danny kind of take, uh, take over there and, and share a little more info. Yeah, so in essence, we, we bring science fiction and, and make it science fact. Um, uh, for instance, in Iron Man 3, uh, Marvel knows that we work a lot with the technology uh, side of the world, so they had asked us to kind of come up with some interesting technologies that Tony Stark might be using in that film. Um, so we actually did a whole uh, technology audit deck that we put together for not only the executives at Marvel, but also the directors and the, and the crew to take a look at and, and kind of uh, conceptualize what his next gadgets would be. Um, and then from there... Um, you know, they, they, we've worked on pretty much every Marvel film from uh, Iron Man 2 on, whether it be in the conceptual um, nature or in the, in the, in the regular uh, you know, visual effects world where we're designing, animating, and compositing the scenes. Awesome. And so, you know, one thing that really got me excited to talk to you guys is the fact that you, you're basically doing exactly what this podcast is about, which is marrying kind of the fiction world with the real world. And as a technology reporter, you know, over the years, I've seen a number of uh, concept videos from, you know, real technology companies saying, okay, well, this is what we're going to be doing in, you know, 2035, you know, 2060, this is the future. So, and, and as we call those vision videos, yeah, vision videos. And as we move forward every year, it seems like the time gap shrinks more and more like the, the amazing things that we see in reality are, you know, moving from these vision videos to reality, you know, just really quickly. So looking at everything you guys have created, it's clear that you're huge fans, huge users of real technology. And I'm just, can you just kind of give me some sense of like, how deep have you gone with real technology companies in terms of your discussions, uh, getting sneak peeks at what's really around the corner, you know, in their skunk works labs, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, so exactly that. You know, we get to work closely with their Skunks Works divisions. Um, you know, I can't get in detail of what we did, but uh, for Microsoft, we work with their HoloLens um, division, which is uh, called Good Science. Um, IBM, we've been working with them on, uh, on the Watson Initiative. Um, we work a lot with Samsung, which is funny because when Iron Man 2 came out, there was uh, an article on, um, I forget which tech blog, uh, or tech website, but uh, that Samsung was actually coming out with Tony Stark's phone, um, and eventually they actually became our client as well. So and we also do a lot of work in the automotive space, which is a really fertile ground for us. So we collaborated with companies like Ford and Mercedes and uh, Fiat Chrysler, BMW, and some of the stuff that we we get to do is visualize, you know, autonomous driving or the car of the future. And I can't get into too specifics on that, but it really is what you mentioned about. Uh, getting deep into a technology that's just over the horizon and, and trying to make that as real and uh, authentic as, uh, for inspirational purposes for the engineers as well as greenlighting 
uh, initiatives from uh, corporate leadership. We get to put these things together uh, to make them really inspiring and, and sort of uh, become the art of the possible team for a lot of these uh, tech companies. And, you know, one thing with Tony Stark in particular, he is just he, he seems to be the master in these movies, the master of kind of having that edge technology that either is, either is about to come right on the market or is, you know, in development in the, the universe of the movies. And so I'm curious, like what inside your studio is your barometer for? Okay, this concept is a little bit too far. You know, you know the whole um, suspension of disbelief from audiences. What's what, what's the barometer that you use to kind of say, okay, well, you know, audiences will, will believe this, they won't believe that. So that's a great question, and it's something that we we discuss quite frequently. And it actually uh, came up right on uh, on the first assignment we had in Iron Man Two when we were having a great collaboration with John Favreau, and we were talking about Tony Stark's phone, and he was very clear that. You know, this is the iPhone of, uh, of 10 years from now, but not 20 or 30 years from now. There's this idea that if you go too far ahead, you're going to lose people, you're going to create confusion. So you really want to find that sweet spot that blends, you know, the science present with the science future. And you kind of find that in-between spot that keeps audiences believing uh, and keeps it grounded in, in some sort of reality and understanding of the current technologic climate. Uh, but it takes some sort of leap forward, uh, but it's always grounded in that in that realism. And have you ever had any technology company after you've come out, you know, after one of the movies you've worked on has actually been released and is in theaters? Has any technology company ever circled back? Not that you dealt with originally, but just any company out there come back and said, hey, guys, you know, what, <laughs> what you depicted in the film is just not possible or that's that's just a little overboard. You know, just any kind of critique. Um, we'll usually, when it comes to the technology side of the world, um, we'll, we'll keep that same kind of uh, um, thinking as far as uh, when it comes to the, the concepts that we do in the Marvel Universe, and that is, you know, there's like a pecking order. So, for example, you know, if you're Tony Stark, you get all the really cool, beautifully designed gadgets because you have, you know, Jarvis in your back pocket, right? Um, but then also we've designed gadgets for... Um, Thor's girlfriend that, you know, we've done her devices, which are more uh, handmade, you know, kind of from Radio Shack type of, uh, of uh, gadgetry. Um, and then there's uh, everything in the middle from, from S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Nick Fury's uh, HUD that we, we designed for his vehicles. So there is, um, you know, technology companies reaching out to us, but the team that we put together, you know, we, we kind of know where the, the balance is and we kind of know where we can push and... I think a lot of the reasons why the technology companies reach out to us is because they feel like their uh, internal teams have become a little bit, you know, stale or just, you know, stagnant only because of the, the culture. And um, so, so they reach out to us to kind of break, break out of that box a little bit, push the engineers and push, uh, push their own internal designers a little bit further to, uh, to figure out what can be done, even though they're saying it can't be, you know, we, we kind of know, all right, maybe, you know, this can't be done in the next three years, but these things could be done definitely within the next year based on technology that we've seen coming out. And some of the, uh, the questions we would get early on from tech companies was, you know, how does working in, in science fiction and feature films really relate to designing for real-world uh, user experiences? And what we found in the last few years is there's some very profound parallels. And the, the four that we always talk about is, number one, storytelling. Everything we do, whether it's for a feature film or for a tech company project, it all comes down to telling an incredible story, telling a compelling story, building a story around a user and around an experience. The second one is making it feel cinematic, you know, something that feels immersive, larger than life, that can move you to another emotional state and really pull in the viewer or pull in the user. Uh, that's something that we strive to do in both parallel worlds. The third one is the entertainment value. We always want to make sure that our users are engaged and enchanted and really enjoy using the device that we happen to design. And obviously, when we're designing something for a film, we want to make sure that the audience is enjoying themselves and following along with the, uh, the information that we've designed. And then the last and fourth one is this idea of soul. We're always looking to uncover what is the inner soul of an interface. How does it feel? How does it behave? You know, it's a living, breathing organism. And we want our, our user experiences to feel like they were designed by a human being to be used by a human being. And there's always this consistent human touch, this human quality that flows through everything we do. And 
those things really carry over in almost every project we do. It doesn't matter if it's for a film or for a tech company. Yeah, and some of your interface design is really, really distinctive. Have you, I mean, you don't have to name any names, but have you seen any companies kind of, uh, let's say, borrow some of your ideas? Yeah, every single one of the competitions. <laughs> there's no doubt. I mean, there's definitely, uh, you know, we, we don't have a specific style, um, so we'll come up with uh, different designs or different concepts based on whatever the movie is and, of course, the close collaboration with that, the directors and the team on the other end. Uh, oh, no, no, but, no, no, you no. Know, I actually meant real-world technology. I meant, like, some technology company that actually sees your interface design and actually says, you know, we can, we can really do that. Let's, you know, without talking to you, they have no involvement with you guys, and they maybe just borrow maybe the look and feel of something you've done in, in one of your films. Right. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I think there's, uh, you know, it goes back to when um, the, the sci-fi books would kind of um, dictate what, what the movies were going to look like. And I, I think now the, the, the movies and still some books, although people don't read as much anymore, um, dictate what the technology is going to look like. And again, you know, a lot of the times for these technology companies, they'll reach out to us and say, hey, we tried doing this and we tried to make it look like Iron Man or Bruce Wayne's Batcave graphics, you know, that's uh, kind of cracking the code and getting into Lex Luthor's uh, um, operating system, uh, but we couldn't, and now we need your help. Right, and so now to wrap up, I know you guys deal in the world of the imaginary and kind of the, the conceptual, but I'm really curious, as fans of technology, what is out there, you know, as... as you guys kind of look to the future. You develop what's coming next. What's out there in the real world that has you the most excited in terms of real-world use in the next two, three years that we will all be using that you think is like a real edge technology that will go mainstream? Uh, I, I think you you got to look to virtual reality and augmented reality. Uh, I think that's definitely um, that's that's accelerating and that's going to hit a critical mass very soon. You know, now that these products are getting into consumers' hands, I think HoloLens is really exciting and inspirational for us uh, because it is almost like uh, being Tony Stark and interacting with holograms, even though you do have to wear a headset. I've uh, I put one on. It's, it's pretty incredible. So I think my answer would be those two technologies uh, are, are very inspiring to us right now, and we're getting, as you might imagine, from, uh, from our cinematic experience, we're getting a lot of calls from tech companies about, what does the user experience for VR look like? What does it feel like uh, from our point of view, from, you know, from our unique perspective uh, designing for movies? Uh, so it's really interesting to see, to see that starting to uh, percolate to the surface. Yeah, and I think a lot of what Jeremy mentioned about the parallel world is going to play huge into that whole VR world as well as far as the storytelling because there's now a different way to tell a story with the multiple angles and things like that. And, you know, the, you're kind of in that world now instead of watching it on the screen, you're in it. Um, I think another interesting, uh, I guess, field is the automotive uh, world where a lot of uh, technologies are, are getting more advanced in, in that field as well. Um, and I think a lot of the, um, the companies are starting to look uh, to company, to, to, a lot of the automobile companies are starting to look to uh, design studios like us to kind of help their vehicles more evergreen because obviously cell phones and, and, and tablets and things like that, you know, everybody's buying those now every two to three years in a, in a vehicle you own for, you know, five to eight. So how can you um, keep that car uh, fresh when someone's bought it now, you know, and owns it for three years? How can you upgrade it and make it look cooler without necessarily, you know, painting the whole thing over again? Cool. And so to finally to wrap up, last question. What's next? What's next for Perception? What, what's on the slate? Uh, well, film-wise, we're, uh, we're doing some work on uh, Doctor Strange, uh, and we're uh, working on some other things with Marvel. Uh, in the tech world, uh, as, as Danny mentioned, we've been doing a lot of automotive, uh, and we are doing some, uh, some VR projects right now as well. Yeah, we also have uh, something that um, we're working with a, a cybersecurity company, Mm -hmm. which has uh, been a big buzz uh, lately. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a whole uh, bunch of different realms that uh, quality UX and, and design is, uh, is starting to, to kind of uh, grow. And, um, and, you know, the companies are reaching out to us to, to advance them further than their competition. 
When you mentioned, just lastly, you mentioned VR. What do you think as interface designers and kind of, you know, people, you guys conceptualize how technology gets used in the real world? What's the biggest challenge with VR? I, I feel like there's a lot of discussion about, you know, there being stumbling blocks to it really exploding into the mainstream just because some of the mechanical or the, the mechanics of how users use it and what's comfortable, what gives you vertigo, that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I mean that's definitely one of the challenges. Is the is the motion sickness? Is um, you know, it's a, it's a completely new environment, and you know the interface doesn't always need to be visible. You could turn your head to the left and see the interface, and then turn your head back to the right, and it doesn't have to always be there. You know, I just think it's a it's a completely new design language that needs to be considered. But I also think that one of the big challenges is keeping things natural and simple. Um, you know, putting too much information there and making too many things moving and jumping around is just causing uh, confusion uh, and chaos and, and not a very uh, enjoyable user experience. So I think a lot of companies are, are trying to figure out what's the most natural, enjoyable way to, uh, to, to do VR. Yeah, I think that's a key uh, ingredient. You know, one of the tools that you can't find in Photoshop is restraint, and that's that's very hard to do when you're a creative and you want to have that, you know, that, that interface up the whole time, um, you know, in front of you. But a lot of the times, you know, less is more. So you got to be able to design something that's, you know, simple and, and elegant, but also, um, you know, has a, has, a, has a great use for when it's... Yeah, I think it's an important uh, word to, to keep in mind when designing for VR is comfort, designing for people's comfort. Uh, and designing for immersion, making sure you take full advantage of the new environment that it provides, making sure that the experience is really enjoyable and pleasurable and not dizzying and nauseating, one that you don't want to uh, repeat ever again. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of new challenges and considerations, but the possibilities and potential is, is enormous. And these are, these are areas we're, we're loving uh, exploring right now. Yeah, I think in the VR world, uh, uh, one of the key areas that, that should take advantage, and, you know, I know some companies already is more in the, um, what, are they, what are they called, the, like Six Flags and, and uh, amusement parks. Amusement parks, yeah. You know, you could take a, um, uh, the same old roller coaster but create very different experiences um, just by, you know, retelling a story, but you're on the same track every time. So I think that's something that uh, not only will make them more uh, profitable, but can also... Um, you know, it's like a, a a new movie coming out every month. And as fans of science fiction and just, you know, science fiction literature, you know, classic films, what's the dream project for uh, Perception? What would be kind of the ultimate challenge to really show off everything you guys could do? Something that doesn't necessarily even exist as a studio project right now. Is, is there anything that comes to mind? We're going to build a real Iron Man suit. <laughs> no, I mean, what about it now? No, I mean more so. No, I mean more so, like in the realm of science fiction, like literature or or classic films that were maybe done many years ago that could be updated. Something that would really, you know, put perception, you know, uh, in in a position where you 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 know your your challenges would go to the next level in terms of what you could really do. Yeah, you stumped me. Um, you know, I think all the movies that that I've grown up with have been redone, and my, one of my favorites was RoboCop, the original, it still is. Um, but, you know, they redid it and we got a, the opportunity to work on it. Um, you know, this, yeah, I, I, I don't have an answer for you. Sorry. Well, I, I will, I'll just offer one that you, you're actually doing, which is Dr. Strange. I grew up with that comic and I'll tell you, I never thought I would see the kaleidoscopic imagery and a lot of the kind of, you know, interdimensional stuff and the astral form stuff yeah. that's involved in that comic. I never thought I'd see that on the big screen. So I don't know how much you guys, I, I, you know, I'm sure you can't really get into the details, but I'm really excited to see that because I never thought I'd see that on the big screen. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of that comic too. Growing up is one of the many titles that I collected and uh, I'm, I'm equally uh, excited to see how it all comes together. But uh, they got an incredible uh, cast assembled and, and great filmmakers, so I think it's going to be good. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking time to speak to me. You know, next time I'm around the offices, I w I'll try to, you know, peek in and see if uh, you'll, you'll even let me uh, get, you know, an eyeball in the door because I know everything you're working on is super secret, you know, uh, Tony Stark style. But I really appreciate you taking the time. Anytime. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot.
And so those are the guys that perception and I really appreciate again, they, them taking the time to talk to us and kind of give us a, a look behind the curtain about, you know, just some of the, I'll just be honest. I, I'm a hardcore comic book guy. I grew up with comics. I love many of the characters that we're getting to see in live action right now. But for me, when I'm in the movie theater, mm -hmm. my favorite parts at this point are when, you know, a lot of these kind of near future gadgets are essentially made real on the screen by a company like Perception. And in mm -hmm. particular, you know, what we just saw in uh, Captain America Civil War. Speaking of that, yep. we actually so we both saw Captain America Civil War this week. Well, I think I did. I see it last week. I think I saw it last week. You saw it this week. And we wanted to talk about the technology of the film, because aside from all of the, uh, you know, the fantastical, the magic from, you know, Scarlet Witch and, you know, some of the other mystical stuff and, you know, just the superhero stuff. There's a lot of uh, what looks like real world tech that isn't really real. So we wanted to talk about that. So why don't you kind of give us. Uh, Vic, why don't you give us just a, mm -hmm. a really, really, really short sense of what's happening without spoilers in the film and then kind of take us there in terms of the tech. Okay, so Captain America Civil War is about the Avengers coming to a point where there's division within the house. Like, they're not on the same page, really. And a lot of it has to do with the events of the previous Marvel films, which, you know, really it's a question of responsibility and accountability. So on the one side, you have Captain America, who, you know, he wants to maintain indi individual freedoms. And you have, on the other side, Tony Stark, who thinks that they should probably answer to a higher authority and be held accountable for some of their casualties. So that's basically the core of the conflict within the film. But we're here to talk about the tech and, you know, you don't want to give too many spoilers, but it's inevitable that this is going to be somewhat spoilery. So if you haven't seen the movie, you might want to go watch it and then come back for the tech talk. Yes. But and just, and just, just to add, um, the higher authority that Tony Stark wants the superheroes to bow to is essentially like world government. Like something, I, th I can't remember, it's the something it's, accord. It's uh, the Sokovia Accords. Sokovia, right. for those who don't remember from Avengers Age of Ultron, is the, I think the Ukrainian or the Eastern European city that they demolished. Right. So, yeah. So Tony Stark wants the heroes to kind of abide by this governmental kind of dictate of what is and isn't okay to do and follow orders and that kind of thing. And Captain America wants to, as you just said, uh, Vic, uh, maintain their independence. And what happens is an epic battle between these superhuman people. But in, in the lead up to that, and, and and as that story plays out, we get to see a ton of really cool imagined tech. So why don't you, Vic, can you break down some of the uh, stuff we saw? Like, what was the, the thing that of all of, in the oh. list of things we saw? What's the thing that you want right now that you saw? The thing that I want right now would probably be all the AR things that we saw that Tony Stark uses. And we've seen it in previous films uh, where he'll... He'll ha he'll be calculating something, and then the hologram will pop out, and then he'll be rearranging things in space according to his movements or whatnot. Uh, not in space, in 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 midair. So particularly in this film, I was just there's like points where he looks at his smartwatch and it, it'll give him information, or he'll pull out his phone and it'll be able to project information in like a 3D space that he can see and analyze, and that's just near enough that it's future-y, but also something that I think is really tangible. And I would just love to have a holographic projection of information when I'm trying to sort stuff out. So that's something that I definitely want now. Hmm. And are you talking about when he, because I see it in two different ways. The AR thing, if mm -hmm. memory serves, he puts on glasses and then he starts, you know, seeing, you know, things that other people can't see, you know, as he's looking through these glasses. And then there's another where he just, has like holograms that anyone can see. Did you did you make that distinction? Do you know what I'm talking about? Now now that you mention it, I do I do note that distinction. Um but I guess what I would would want and I'm sure Tony Stark probably has it is like a contact lens that you could have the AR onto the contact lens 
and see it that way. So you don't need a special glass, like glass apparatus that, you know, if you're a klutz like me, will fall off your face whenever you look down in real life. But something in the movie that I particularly really liked was the, was the introduction of Black Panther and his fictional country of Wakanda. And for those who don't know, Wakanda is where their main export or one of their most valuable resources there is vibranium, which is the metal that Captain America's shield, Captain America's shield is made out of. And in comic book lore, vibranium is kind of interesting because it holds and stores kinetic energy, which makes it really kind of well, in the way that Captain America uses it, he can absorb a lot of shock and bullets and all those things. And I just really liked the idea of vibranium as something that can, you know, just the applications of that metal and what we could use tech for in that sense. What about you, Dario? Well, so from in terms of my favorite thing, in my writing, I do a lot of imagining of what could be, meaning mm-hmm. I'll take a product that's on the market and I'll say, okay, this is really cool. But what if they added this? Imagine the possibilities. And I do that often in my writing about real technology to help people get excited. Because sometimes if you see a new technology and if it's presented by a company the way the company wants you to see it, you know, sometimes that's just not enough to bring in someone who's not already a tech geek. And so often I'll, you know, I'll kind of lay out what's going on with the technology, the very real technology. And I'll say, but what if we just added this little, you know, component or this little spice, you know, imagine the possibilities there. And so one of the things I've written about, I don't know if I've written about this. I've definitely talked about this um, with colleagues is the notion of having kind of like an everywhere computer where, you know, you have your smartphone as we have it right now, but you really don't need your smartphone. There's essentially a cloud computing link that you have with you, be it, you know, through some pendant link or some ring that identifies you. And there are just a bunch of screens throughout the real world, whether it's a window, whether it's a door, uh, you're at the mall, whether you're at your train station and all screens become your computer screen when you enable it. And I saw something like that I felt like I saw something like that in Iron Man where he's using his phone Mm -hmm. and I believe he was in a helicopter and it was either a helicopter or a jet. And he just, he's looking at some sort of image on his phone and then he just throws the image from his phone onto the windshield of the the aircraft. Oh yeah. And that just looked really natural to me because I've already, I've been thinking about this for years now. And so when he did that, it was like a eureka moment because I've just imagined this for so many years and I have seen some, um, how shall I say? I've, I've seen some baby steps toward this being conceptualized and some of, you know, like SoftBank will sometimes come out with a vision, you know, 2020 or, but this mm-hmm. is years ago, you know, cause it's almost 2020 now, but you know, a vision videos where they, you know, imagine the future. And so I've seen some companies kind of take baby steps toward this. But the the Tony Stark bit where he threw the image from his phone to the to the screen or to the windshield, that for me was super close to what we're will will likely to have and we should have, you know, in the near future. In the last film, the Civil War film, there was a moment that in particular for me I felt I would absolutely love. And I just love the fact that he has an AI like in previous films, it was Jarvis, and I didn't catch the name of what his new AI is in this Nameless film. Computer Slave. <laughs> Do my bidding. Yeah. So, like, along that line... He won't give you the, the respect of even calling you Alexa. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I think a couple of months ago, I read something that Mark Zuckerberg came out, and he was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to build a Jarvis. I'm going to build something in my house that will act kind of like a digital butler in that sense. And that's cool. And we have Alexa in Amazon Echo. But there was one thing that I really like, it kind of jumped out at me in the film is, uh, and spoilers, but whatever, I gave you my spoiler alert already. But um, so it's towards the end of the film where Captain, uh, Captain America, Iron Man, and Bucky are all fighting. And you know, it's the scene in the trailer where he's like, Tony, he's my friend. And then Tony goes, so was I. And they're all duking it out. And Tony is not 
an actual fighter. He's just a nerd in a suit, basically. So he tells his AI, he's like, you know what? Analyze Captain's fighting style. Oh, and, wow. Yes, I remember that part. Right? Yes. Amazing. Uh, yes, yes, right? yes. He's like, analyze Captain's fighting style. And then the AI does. And he's just like, okay, let's go kick some ass right now. Right, right. And no, that was super cool. I, yeah, I forgot about that. That moment. And I was just watching that. And I was like, that is so cool. And I want something like that because I don't know about you. I understand a lot of concepts of problem solving. But when it comes to the actual doing of it, I'm not necessarily like savvy enough at math or savvy enough at doing the actual calculations to have it done. So if you could have an AI, if I could have an AI and be like, okay, uh, Alexa, let's just call her Alexa. Alexa, can you, this is what I want to do. I need oh, you by to the, do. By the way, listeners, a million listeners or however many listeners, they, their, their echo devices just turned on right now. When you say that, remember <laughs> when you say that, when you say that name and you oh, said it really yeah. clearly. So I, I almost perked up like I was ready to do your digital bidding, but go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Adario, can you just like calculate how long it would take for me to blah, 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 and figure out the best way to do that? Like, that would be super time saving, uh, brain energy saving, and it would just make us all a lot. Now, I don't want to say smarter, but it would help us do the things we want to do more efficiently. Well, what was so smart to me about that edition of the film is that it ties in perfectly with it, with what's happening in sports analytics right now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a hardcore NBA head, right? As you know, I love the Mars pod so much. As we <laughs> speak, I am missing the Spurs versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. <gasps> So I just, I just, the things oh I do goodness. in the interest of sci-fi and tech, but anyway, um, you know, right now the sports world is obsessed with analytics, crunching data to figure mm -hmm. out an opponent's weakest weakness and how to defeat an opponent. And so when that happened, I thought, of course, of course, that's exactly if you really had something that was, you know, this kind of Iron Man suit and he has suits that you know can operate themselves and he has cameras and he has this ai at his bidding of course that's what you would do why hadn't why didn't we see that earlier right. and, it, and, it, and it was great because they didn't just do it but they did it as though that's what happened with him he said wait a minute whoa, whoa, whoa. you know i forgot I'm, I'm fighting and what it made me think of is like you know maybe this is the way they did it it made it seem like this is what he always does when he's fighting uh -huh. the bad guys but we just don't hear this because it's in the background. It's part of his, you know, normal routine. But since he was fighting, you know, one of his uh, friends, we actually had, you know, that that moment of, you know, oh wait, you know, let me do my normal thing, you know, figure out <laughs> his weakness. So that, yeah, that was great, and it and it's it really, I think, you know, kind of, I feel like that's coming. Um, but before I forget, I want to circle back on the Zuckerberg thing. Mm -hmm. I can't let this pass. Okay. So you talked about Zuckerberg. I'd like to know where you read that because I didn't read that. But you talked about Zuckerberg talking about wanting to build his own Jarvis or something like that. You know what? I, you know, Facebook just lost a huge amount of credibility <laughs> because this week a story came out. And yes, sorry, folks, this is not about uh, Captain America Civil War, but just quick detour. Um, so a story came out this week about Mark Zuckerberg and the Facebook news feed, which is supposed to be run by the Facebook, quote unquote, Facebook algorithm. And that's why it's supposed to be so much better than a traditional news organization. And that's why traditional news orgs should, you know, really rush to, to partner up with with Facebook because Facebook has the algorithm that tells you what people really want to you know read and and, and, and the, the social media Num da da blah bullshit <laughs> is what is what we found out this week because a bunch of people who used to work for Facebook News uh, came out and said that they basically the Facebook news feed is largely curated by humans. Hmm. And so Facebook came back out with a statement kind of backtracking on some of we're well, not backtracking, but I guess uh, refuting what some of these people have claimed. Um, I don't know. I, you know. Yeah, that, that's and, always the sexy things to say. You have a magic algorithm, right? Yeah. Well, just to circle back because you, you asked where where I read about Mark Zuckerberg uh, wanting to make his own Jarvis. He actually released it on Facebook himself on in early January as is like every year. I you know take I have a personal goal that I want to achieve, <laughs> and this year my goal is to build my own Jarvis. Like. 
Oh, hold on. Um, he's he's a bullshit. He says an AI to run my home and help me with my work. You can think of it kind of like Jarvis and Iron Man. Oh, bullshit. And uh, you know there were some great headlines that came out of that, like Iron Zuck. <laughs> Iron Zuck. Okay, yeah. Meanwhile, there's a uh, you know five different uh, interns, you know, locked in a closet somewhere, <laughs> banging out the answers. The code for him. Yeah. So anyway, so the thing with Alexa, to circle back, so we know Jarvis became Vision, or mm-hmm. Jarvis plus the Infinity Stone bit became Vision, one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe, by the way. So, okay, so my question to you is, have you tried Alexa? I have not. Everyone I know who has Alexa is super duper, like, gung-ho that I should get Alexa. I just haven't gotten around to buying it yet. Okay, so I'm I'm this you're talking to the perfect person because mm-hmm. I thought that it was just a fancy, you know, expensive version of Siri and that maybe it was just kind of, you know, a useless device if you've already got Siri. Or you know, if you're not someone who shops at Amazon, you know, every other day and I don't. I I'm a very frequent Amazon customer, but not every day, every week. Mm-hmm. Um I was wrong. I was so wrong. I've tried Alexa now and I'm about to get one. But first, I needed to try it. Mm-hmm. First of all, the voice sounds so real, so natural. It really sounds like I mean, this is definitely better than the voice on Siri, um, mm-hmm. better than the Cortana voice from Microsoft, uh, better than uh, Google Now. You know, when when you say, OK, Google and you get like feedback from, you know, their database, this sounds very close to that science fiction reality that we've all been dreaming of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not perfect. It stumbles on some questions. Uh, sometimes it takes a little too long to answer. But in terms of natural language, um, it's incredible. You know, just talking to it in a natural way and getting an answer back from a voice that sounds pretty human uh and giving you useful answers I'm, it's pretty amazing so I'm, I'm sold i'm not a shill for the alexa like <laughs> you know there there have been no ad dollars spent with us for uh the echo or alexa or anything like that um i'm just really impressed and i feel like it's it's hmm. probably the closest thing we have to to at least a consumer level version of jarvis at this point so i suggest you give it a try okay so what else? So we had Black Panther with the vibranium. I guess his his suit is supposed to be made of vibranium yeah, because his, when his, they shot him, yeah, his because he's super bulletproof, and I, I believe his suit and his little panther claws are vibranium. And I, I know in the comics, or at least I think from what I've seen of the comics, because I have to admit I haven't read very many of the Black Panther comics. Uh, I believe. Because, like, as I mentioned earlier, the vibranium kind of absorbs kinetic energy. While Captain America can only use it in a shielding sense, he can use it in an offensive sense as well. Like, it absorbs kinetic energy, and he knows how to use it in kind of a shockwavy type thing. Yeah, and what about the phone? What about Tony Stark's transparent phone? Did you catch that? Yeah, I, I didn't realize it was a phone. So you, what like, did you think it was just like a dis- – what did you think it was? Like like what you mentioned before, kind of like a display that he uses, like a little computer. I'm almost – I'm like 90% certain I saw him raise that device to his ear at one point and talk into it. I could be wrong. Did you see anything else in there that caught your eye outside of Stark? Yeah, uh, and there was another bit that maybe we should talk about in Spider-Man and Spider-Man's new suit. I don't, I don't know, but uh, when I was watching the trailer for uh, Civil War, I noticed the way his eyes kind of, uh, like, I don't know how to describe it, but zoomed in. Do you, right. do you get what, I, what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, so that was a big, so when, before the movie came out, there was a big discussion about, wait a minute, are his eyes animated? And some people kind of compared it to the Deadpool movie, because mm-hmm. Deadpool's face is more animated rather than, you know, this natural kind of I'm speaking behind a mask look. And so when people saw Spider-Man in the in the original trailer before the full film came out and they saw his eyes kind of like widen, you know, close and widen or whatever, you know, there was some discussion of, okay, well, are they using the Deadpool model for kind of like an animated face, which seemed silly to me at the time. 
And thankfully, that was not the case. What happened is that's actually a kind of lens. That's like this yeah. upgraded suit. Uh, because according to Peter Parker in this latest film, again, spoilers, but uh, along with his new enhanced abilities, uh, too much light, like he's he's more too much light bothers him. He's light sensitive. And so uh, apparently the and, and this is really great because, you know, if you're I'm an old school Spider-Man lover, you know, of the comic mm-hmm. book, you know, like I was not a big fan of the films that have come out, you know, in the last 10 well, or so years. Is- I think this is the best interpretation of Peter Parker. Well, yeah, in terms of like getting it right, you know, with the witty quips and what the suit looks like and, you know, not having him uh, have actual webbing coming out of his body, but using like like, like cartridges. Yeah, that's true to the original comic book. And so, I mean, you know, when I would tell people that the 70s TV version of Spider-Man, that was really, you know, low budget when I tell people that I almost like that more than the films we've seen, you know, in recent years, I get, you know, raised eyebrows, but it was because a lot of that, you know, they stay true to the original character. He was awkward and he, you know, his, his webbing came from mechanics. It wasn't coming out of his body. I just, when they made the whole webbing coming out of his body thing, that just, I don't know that for me, I just, okay, well, you're just going to change the rules. Now this is some other character, but yeah, getting back to, you know, to the to the origins in Civil War, the you know, or to the true nature of Spider-Man in Captain America Civil War. I thought that was a good move. Um and yeah, the lens for the mask, that was a good move. As you've heard throughout this episode, you know, the comic book world, uh superheroes, that is at the top, that's the top of the heap right now. Not spy movies. You know, which we often have relied upon for our kind of tech imaginings from, you know, Hollywood in the past. Uh, You know, not action heroes, not horror, uh, not even really sci-fi, although we we have where I think we're kind of in a a really great place with sci-fi right now. Really, what's pushing things ahead in terms of, you know, imagining near term tech is the superhero movie. So we'll keep an eye on what's coming next. With that, we're going to head on out. I'm going to go to a couple of uh, Venice Beach, uh, Abbott Kinney Road uh, drinking establishments. Uh, hmm. <laughs> I'm going to imbibe the local flavor. And with that, we bid you adieu. We will talk to you next week. This has been the Mars Magazine Podcast. This is Adario Strange with Vic Song. And we will catch you in the future. <laughs>